time to down your unders. Down your unders. The Frontline Gaming Network brings to you Art of War. Down Under. Review and dissection of content from some of the sharpest minds in the game. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode 33 of the Art of War Down Under podcast. My name, as always, is Adam Camilleri. I'm joined by two magnificent Canadian gentlemen, the first and foremost being Val, the Heffelfinger. Heffelfinger. <laughs> Hello, mate. I would never say foremost with, with the Falcon on the line with me. I only would say I'm in front of him when he can't hear me say it. Ooh. Fair enough. Well, we're, we're twisting it on its head because, of course, the other, the other half of this duo is Peter the Falcon. Hello, my man. Uh, hello. Hi. 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 I'm, I, pleasure to be here. This is a big deal for me. Um, I've never been on such an illustrious show. I, I hope you've been on, on, this, twice. Show. You've been on I, this one twice. Shit. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> not definitely not editing that out. But we're here. We're, we're doing a bit more of a loose, loose. We're doing a bit more of a loose episode. Uh, this one, more of a talking heads, talking about the state of the game, the state of the community, and the state of what we hope twenty twenty one may yield. Uh, so we're just going to be sitting back and just talking about our feelings about the community and the game at the moment. I'm just kind of mm. going in that vein. Part part two of this episode, we are going to be talking about. A bunch of hot topics in the community that have been given to us by our patrons. For those who don't know, this is a two-part podcast. The first one being available for general consumption upon the Frontline Gaming Network, lovingly our main and most supportive of sponsors. And then part two is over on either the Art of War down, sorry, the Art of War 40K website or upon Mm -hmm. Patreon. You Mm -hmm. can look us up. Um, the Art of War Down Under. <laughs> thank, thank you very much, Pete. Pete will probably be looking this up. And uh, you can jump on and buy the second half of this podcast, which is released over a week early than the other ones. A lot of people have been scratching their head with some of our review content being like, why is this out so late? You know, it's been like two mm-hmm. weeks since the, the coders came out. And that's because the, that, that whatever you saw come up on YouTube or the FLG network was out a week early for the patrons. So they, get, they get the stuff as it comes out, as it's hot, as it's nice. And it cools in the sun and marinates for everybody else. But Adam, did you guys do you guys have hot topic in Australia? Is that a thing? Like No, we don't. Do you, we you might don't. we might, okay. but oh. it probably it probably lived and died in about the the same range mm-hmm. as Starbucks did. It, it existed for I, like I, two I fully years. believe Val Heffelfinger was a was a hot topic man, a uh, hot topic child. Oh, for sure. Yeah. All all I'm thinking is that uh, Australia is so hot that you cool things in the sun. Mm. Uh, that's that's what I also think true. It's true. I remember uh, I, I've cooked eggs in the sun during summer. Just put a pan on the mm-hmm. concrete, crack an egg into it, come back in like ten minutes. It's cooked. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. Stuff is messed eggs. up. It's messed up. But gentlemen, plug mm. yourselves. Hello. Tell us a little about you guys. Where can we find you? Where can we tune in? Where can we see more of your delightful caricatures? Um, Tuesdays uh, in the morning, I do. We, Val and I do the uh, 40k adjacent show. Um, with uh, Rob Symes over on the Honest Wargamer. Other than that, um, really, we've been kind of keeping it pretty chill. Um, randomly doing guest spots on podcasts when asked, but um, you know, in COVID times, it's just been kind of a a slow roll. Just trying to mm-hmm. you know tread, keep head above water. That's about it. And, we've, been, yeah, we've, the, been, we've been floating on. Anything in the works for you guys? Anything we can look forward to from you, duo? Well, I, mean, I think we're going to talk about it today, but like, uh, it feels like the world's coming back to life, and mm-hmm, at some point mm-hmm. we'll have to decide whether we, uh, whether we come back with a show. If you yeah. do, what, what do you think it'll look like? Will it be the same as what it was, or you have uh, adapted Stat Center to be something? Or is it just going to be a brand new whatever? I mean, we put a lot of effort into the Stat Center stuff, so it'll probably still be called that. 
I don't know if it'll be the same. I mean, I know Val's been looking at some kind of live action, twitchy, jigadoo situation. Um, <laughs> I'm up for anything, really. So, he's DTF, man. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just so down with men just chucking in jigadoos and you like a Canadian saltier Ned Flanders, Pete. Yes, Love it. It's true. It's true. <laughs> All right. It's Curry. actually one of our. It's one of Canada's most aggressive curse words. Yeah, uh, he, he casually says it, but for me, my my skin is crawling yeah. every time Gee he does. It's, it's too far. It's just below the c word, which is not an issue for you yeah. Australians, but in Canada, no. you'll get shot for saying it. So, well, just below. the c the c Gee word in is Australia is it's far more oftenly associated with a term of endearment than a t- than mm. anything else, which is quite interesting for other people to comprehend. But guys. The state mm. of the community and the state of the game is our first topic. So first and foremost, state of the game. How are you guys feeling about ninth edition? Are you enjoying it? Do you feel like it's a good edition of the game? It's almost a year old as well. Yeah. Wild. It sucks that it's a year old and we're we're kind of where we're at. I think um ninth edition, if people were actually actively playing, is at least in its current form, maybe pre-blood uh, dark angels, I should say is hey. one of the more balanced edition like versions of the game we've had in years. It looks like a lot of fun. Uh the games I've been able to get in have been really enjoyable. Um I think the covid has really kind of uh sucked the life out of a lot of it though, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um so that's that's kind of the unfortunate part. And so I'm kind of hoping once everything gets going, we get some some fresh legs, some fresh eyes. Maybe get a some kind of chapter approved that adds some new mission content, or maybe this maelstrom mm-hmm. thing really pick uh, picks up. Um, we'll like it'll feel okay. good again. So, yeah, th- like th- they're adding maelstrom missions. Val, maelstrom is coming back. Well, where who said that? When that happened? GW did. Like, they, <laughs> there was there have been like articles about it. Like there's a whole uh, mission pack coming with maelstrom cards. And oh neat! I know that the Goonhammer guys. Um, um, I th- uh, have been doing something along that line with testing some stuff with it. Maybe I know I've seen some people talking about it on the, on the interwebs and the dark corners. Um, so yeah. And I mean, that might be like kind of the, the refresher we need as we go full on live all, all over the world. I, mm. I'm, I'm looking forward to as well. I, I suspect that um, the, uh, the GT uh Chapter approved, like the the grand tournament pack, will be updated on a yearly basis. Mm-hmm. This is my my hope and my guess. So if 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 that does work out to be true, then you know every year we'll have a nice refresh on on how the game is played, and and that's good. But you know maybe they won't do it because really it hasn't been. I mean it has been played quite a bit, obviously, but uh, no, certainly not to the degree that it would have if not for COVID. Mm-hmm. Mm. Quick question off the top of my head, um, because you mentioned Dark Angels there, and it has been a significant polarity shift and people's feelings about the game since that codex came out. Eighth, jumping back, transponding what we know of 8th edition to this edition, do you think that power creep is just a facet and just an inbuilt thing of the, the release cycle of an edition? Do you think there's always going to be some level of power creep? Or do you just think that that's how they wanted Dark Angels to perform in this edition, that there's no, no such thing in ninth edition? I'll, yeah, I'll just say, I, I think sometimes they miss. Like, I, I personally prefer them to miss high um i don't know if you guys remember the early seventh edition books so like orcs yep um dark eldar like they were just like they were just white toast with no butter like they were the blandest things uh and and i think they started swinging for more rules more power and 
I think that's good because you can always pay, it's it's much easier to pair it back than to add rules. They seem to they rarely ever seem to like add power via uh, errata, whereas uh, they, they're they're more they're more about you know overpowering and then nerfing down, um, and they adjust points. Maybe that's basically the only way that they ever buff anything. So I don't know. I, I don't I don't mind it as long as it gets addressed. If it does turn out to be super polarizing, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, unfortunately, there's just not that many events to demonstrate it even though it might be glaringly obvious yeah and i think that's like we don't like we don't have all the data behind it right like when death guard came out people were like oh man like this is crazy how does my list do deal Mm. with this um when the space marine codex came out people were like this is crazy broken well some people a lot of people thought it was you know the same as before um Necrons is like looks decent. I think Necrons, when this is all said and done, may actually end up being the milk toast codex um, compared to everybody else. Unfortunately, what um, but the hell is milk toast? And what? <laughs> it just means bland. Yeah. Like you, like kind of okay. like like when you when we talk about power creep, I'm not sure it's intentional to sell models. Well, I guess it is, but in like not in like a, it's not done in like a greedy way. It's done in a this is what the people like so maybe we should keep doing it that's what i saw with a lot of the eighth edition codexes right like an eighth edition codex would come out and would be good um and then the next one come out and have like something a little special about it and they'd be like people like that we're gonna add that to the next book and then we're gonna add something else and so what we like there was kind of this minor power creep even though some of the older books did still do well you know uh throughout the edition um, there was this kind of small amount of power creep as they realized what actually worked with their rule set. And I'm, I do imagine we're going to see the same thing with ninth as, you know, as they release a rule, they're going to be like, okay, the people like this, we need to put that somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And then we need to separate this, this army from that other army. So we're going to give them something else unique to make it work out. Um, I think dark angels may be, maybe a bit of an exception in that they probably went a little too far with all the extra rules they got. I don't think they're, um, you know, like, we, we always say it, Iron Hand's oppressive. Um, but yeah. they, like they're in a place where there's some armies have answers to them and there's a lot that don't, at least on paper. It's pol- it's polarization, isn't it? It's um mm-hmm. and this this is what happens. You get to a point where our meta becomes polarized by a certain element. And like Death Guard was the lesser of those two, isn't it? But it's obvious that we had the Death Guard, super ultra durable, whatnot, and then one one chip above we then had Dark Angel slot in. Now I think what, yeah. Something that Pete has mentioned a number of times, I think it it uh, needs to be said. Like Games Workshops, their role has been uh, screwed up real bad. I don't know if it's Brexit. I don't know if it's if it's COVID or if it's you know um, issues getting stuff out of China. Whatever's causing the supply chain issues for them has basically put a choke on on Ninth Edition. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they've decided also to like slow it down until they can really open it up again. When things are happening, I don't know. Like it could be a strategic choice. Who knows what's going on back yep. there? Um, yep. And uh, as a result, you know, you now have these you, you now have these codices that come out sort of in isolation, um, and without perhaps what um, without other things getting the lift as quickly as they would. Have. Like mm-hmm. the eighth edition release pace was two to three a month for a year, and that, a year plus. And that's a very good point, Val. That was why. Iron Hands was so crazy bonkers because there was no foil. There was no foil coming after them. They were like one of the last codexes to come out was that second Space Marine one. And so that was written... And a distinctly 
distinctly different design philosophy as well. Yes, like it was, yeah. it, it it really had learned, like what Pete said, it it really went to school on, um, I think the sort of the design things that they learned in the course of the releases, and you saw that mm-hmm. evolution in the books, um, and it was, and yeah, it does result in some power creep, but you saw the evolution in the book, like the Orc Codex was. Um, quite amazing. The uh, you know Dark Eldar yep. book when it first came out was brilliant Incredible. and like had yeah. multifaceted, just a perfect like awesome book. Um, and they sort of were building on that, and I think they just missed the mark um, high with Space Marines and as fast as they reacted because in the grand scheme of things they actually did react fairly fast to it. Um, you know, didn't even did, didn't get it right when they when they brought the power level down a bit on it. Because um, it was under two, it was under two months, yeah. It was under two months between Iron Hand's supplement coming out and then it being nerfed, as I remember it. Oh, it was, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was like between weeks. Was it four weeks. It was maybe four weeks, four to six. Mm. Usually, yeah. we had our first event about uh, that allowed them about three weeks after a codex, like a first larger event. Um, and so, yeah, it was. Pro- I think it was four weeks when I did my "Holy crap, what the heck's going on with Iron Hand's" um, episode of Stat Center. Um, so, yeah, it was about a month. And then, like, basically right after we got the the FAQ. So, and I mean, that was the first of several before they kind of got them in line. Um, I don't I don't think Dark Angels are that bad. I mean, we haven't really even come to that point yet where we're embracing why they're crazy. Um, mm. Because I do think you can play around them. I think they're bad for the, the casual gamer in particular. Like, if you're Joe Blow playing with your buddy at home, and then he's like, I'm going to run Terminators. And you're like, oh... Well, I can't kill those. <laughs> um, right? Uh, that's that. I think is more of a problem. Um, I mean, I've mm-hmm. I've played into them now a few times, and it's it's some games definitely aren't fun, depending on who you're playing as. Yeah. But. Well, I've I've played them for I think I think I'm ten games in since the Codex. One of those being at a a, a teams event, a, a GT level teams event, and um, yeah, I can tell you there's there's the games where you where I'm worried and the games where I have no concerns whatsoever. And that's the only two. I'm, no, I'm never really, I'm never worried about losing. I'm never worried about getting smashed or tabled. It's just a uh, slight concern or not worried at all. And that kind of is what's wrong with it. It kind of it irons things out too well. One of the biggest issues though is the the secondaries. I think that first and foremost, I think I want to see a full overhaul of all secondaries so that there's not just a rotation of five good ones plus broken um, or two good mission ones. Or because you only have two types of mission ones, yeah. It's like, okay, I'm getting 15 <laughs> points on this mission secondary or I'm never taking it. Um, yeah. There's no real in-betweens. And it's the same, the same can be said for a lot of the Codex secondaries. Like you can play the Necron and the um, the Necron and the Death Guard secondaries to the Space Marines and the Dark Angels secondaries, even the Blood Angel secondaries. And there's just mm-hmm. a huge difference, huge gap there. Yeah, we. I think everyone, you know, when that sort of design idea was made apparent, kind of held their breath about it and mm-hmm. i think it, it was clear especially when it's it's kind of like when strats first came um not everyone had access to 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 strats with the eighth edition indexes so only yep. the codexes had strats and that really was kind of like no a, kind of a no pharisees type thing yeah at least in ninth really the major disparity does come down to those because everyone does have an established book with tricks and tools even if they're a bit rusty now or or dull, um, you know. It's not like it's it's you know a ninth ed uh, codex versus an index type uh, yeah. list selection, right? So yeah. I, I guess there's 
that benefit at least. So, but one benefit I think we have had from the slowdown in release is that we've had time to acclimatize to the the meta to climatize, especially climatize to the missions. Like people are much better at the missions. I mean, I suppose the missions <laughs> are a little more simplified than they were. But people I play, even the people who deem themselves to be casuals or who say they're they're just there for have some fun, they're much better at playing the mission than they were last edition. They're much better at um, building an army that's going to be able to just consistently get points and things. And I think that might be a benefit of the slowdown release schedule. And also, when in eighth edition, when was the first codex that came out that you thought was just plain too good? For me, it was Craftworld Eldar. The Craftworld players would disagree, but that was my first one. <laughs> guard. I remember Guard feeling particularly oppressive. Yeah, I think I would say for me, Guard was probably the one. Especially if you were a Chaos player, because you'd just gotten your Chaos Space Marine Codex uh, and you were like, okay, this isn't exactly the greatest, but it has some stuff. Mm-hmm. And then and then you read Vengeance for Cadia and you were like, oh, oh, I'm just never winning this game. <laughs> yeah, like, man. This is just not going to happen. That's also, I, I always found it. I always found it kind of annoying that, you know, the Super Soldiers had their book, the Space Marines, and then, you know, a random Imperial Guardsman can move however many inches like 14 inches in a turn uh you know they have the ability to dump a bucket of dice if they you know like they were just there was just so and they were immune to morale essentially for a long time it took them a lot of swings of that pinata to get that right Mm -hmm. so um and their points per model was incredibly low so there was just stuff about them that just was like how does Mm -hmm. anyone not play guard right so it was cool though for guard guard because they had sucked for so long i also remember thinking that like this is kind of neat if you remember about two months before that when the chaos space ring book came out and cultists were like the best thing in the game for a month because mm-hmm. they could all double shoot double fight double move double everything infiltrate um it was incredible and yeah when you're exactly absolutely right like a guardsman came out and if you could get four oh, shots yeah, with yeah. a las gun from a guardsman from first rank second rank they could double move with an order and then with strachan and a priest that have three strength four attacks versus one strength four attack from a tactical marine which was over twice the cost and it was just <laughs> yeah, disparity of, of value. Um, it went it went to such a crazy degree. I feel like we've had a good year before that's happened in eighth edition, in ninth edition. So, so though, like we've had almost a year. We had like a good nine months before Dark Angels have come out and been like, "Hey, put you in your places, guys." In reality, though, Dark Angels would have released about the same window exactly. as Guard did. Exactly, <laughs> they, they would they would have been like a first been- or second quarter release for sure. Uh, well, yeah, uh, they, they, I would bet they, they would have been like a, like an October, November type release, probably before Christmas. Mm-hmm. So how do you guys, um, how do you guys, Val, how do you feel about ninth edition right now? Is it something that's worth watching? Do you feel like it's in a good place from a viewer point of view as a competitive game? Do you think like it's well positioned to grow from where it is? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I do. I think, um, it has been tailor made to be much more mission minded and i think you're seeing that in your friends and and out there uh, you know people really focused on doing that because i think you only have to play a couple games of it to realize that if if you're just built for power and you're built to blow someone away you're going to lose um and, yep, that's <laughs> and that really does change up you know you, you uh, that really changes up mindsets and that's great i think it, when i was um i can care well I don't know. May have been a conversation with him. It might have been something that he was he was saying online. But just sort of when Mike Brandt was sort of talking about some of the design philosophy around it, um, especially in comparison to say the Nova missions, which you know there are definitely parallels in in, in mission design between uh, the Nova missions and uh, the, uh, the the GT pack. Um, 
And I guess the difference really was that the, the army lists and the rules and and the things that support them and the missions were, were designed with the missions in mind. So the missions are actually built from the ground up uh, rather than being something that, you know, tournament organizers had to improvise and sort of bolt onto a game that didn't really work that way. So I like, think of how many iterations of the championship pack for the ITC that had to that had to be gone through before mm. things started feeling about right. And even then, like at the LVO, by the LVO last year, the missions were starting to feel a bit solved. Yeah, um, they were. And, and they, they, remember that last change they did before ninth edition? That really just meant you just almost got auto fifteens on all your <laughs> on you. Sorry, you got auto is it tens? I can't remember. Whatever you got auto max on all your secondaries. They made them all very plottable and very easy to do and i suppose they did that with ninth edition in mind being you know he will ease people into ninth edition with an easier rule set take the take the shackles off a little bit there's no real big need to have them super competitive when we're going to be adopting these next ones coming in because there's an obvious correlation between those two formats yeah yeah well i mean the people are the same um i think i think that's one one of the yeah, most exactly. awesome things about ninth edition is with the with where the playtesters and the really i mean through the playtesters the community has a voice at the table uh, you know, in the in the design studio, and now literally has has a place in the building uh, through through Mike Brandt and his work as a as the the GW community organizer, an events organizer. Um, whereas, so they were brought in probably once Eighth Edition was already fairly baked. So, like the playtesters didn't, I, I think, essentially, you know, were were brought on and things were already developed for Eighth Edition. And then they started giving feedback when it was already sort of off the off the runway. Whereas with ninth edition, mm -hmm. they would have been there from before, right? They they would have been there the entire time for the entire yeah. development cycle. Yeah. And so they, I think, their influence hopefully will be will be felt more. But you know, the studio also has you know they have their own idea of how forty k should work, and you see this often in FAQs uh, because playtesters are kind of us. So you know yeah. they're gonna. Probably be given similar feedback to what the community is squawking about, and uh, and uh, you know, then sometimes the studio just sticks to its guns. So you know, they do have some conviction in in, in how they're designing this game for mm. sure. Now, it's interesting you said that, like, because eighth, seventh, and eighth edition was a clean slate. Everything went back to indexes. The complete format of the game was rewritten. And you're exactly right. The ninth edition was written with a like a coming from a solid foundation of eighth edition. There's a lot of parallels, a lot of the same things. Really, it's just a it's essentially this, virtually the same core rule set. Add, add in terrain, add in some more nuance and some more depth, like to look at sir rules um, and different kind of activations and things. Being able to fall back from you know break out of of try pointing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then yeah, you got most of ninth edition. Uh, have you seen a real shift in how they've written these codexes? Because I've I've seen some significant differences in how how they've come out. But what are your perspectives? And Pete, I know Pete's back with us. So you want to jump in first, Pete? Yeah, sure. Like, I think a big a big thing that we're seeing is like limitations on on the activations. Um, I think something that kind of got uh, kind of tossed out pretty radically in eighth uh, over and over again was you know this unit can like your whole army can double move, your whole army can double shoot, your whole mm -hmm. army can double fight if it needs to, right? If you want to spend the CP or do the action, um, and they've limited that quite a bit. Um, so there's a lot more strategy involved in movement and placement. Um, the codexes really seem less um, focused on on just outmathing somebody as we go forward, um, which is something I really enjoy. Um, we're seeing a lot more emphasis on survivability, 
they've kept the killiness up, but they've given most factions some way that have been released so far, at least, like a myriad of ways to survive. Um, so you can mm. stay on the board and keep doing and keep doing things. Um, and I, so I think that there has been kind of this change. Uh, uh, the data sheets seem to be a lot stronger on paper, and the stratagems generally, um, with the with a few exceptions, have been weaker. Um, and I, I kind of like that. Yep. I like that the stratagems now are aren't as like mandatory. There's no well, I need to save three CP to fight twice. This is just something that's going to happen. Um, yeah, and and I like that. I like that they've limited that power and put it more into the the sheets themselves. Well, yeah, I I I, I couldn't agree more. I think that uh, I think that nicely nicely summed it up. Yeah, I man, you're right about the activations thing. Like they're really stripping back any double moves, double fights, um, double shoots. Like is, has there been a ninth edition codex that, ha- that has had any of those double activations in it? I mean, the last one. I mean, I'm Space Marines of- did, but they were all they were all based Just on assault like, Marines. They're very base. Like, yeah, double fight is assault marines. Double shoot is X yeah. unit, right? Um, yeah. And like, we're seeing that disparity with some of the older codexes. A lot of the older codexes that are still able to function at like a very high level are ones that still have those things baked in, right? Um, mm. Like Harlequins Chaos. with double moving. Yeah. Um, yeah, but they've kind What's of the- they've really been limiting a lot of it. Other otherwise, it's kind of fascinating. I mean, again, we don't actually know what the process is, but. I have some degree of certainty that it's largely done through gut feel and then some playtesting. Uh, so, like, it's really an art. What for? Like, from what I can tell, they don't have some like master model or or big computer they feed their stats into and check to see how it's going to change how all the, wor- the the rules interact with one another. So it's it really is, I think, a largely by feel. And as a result, you see sort of an evolution of them realizing, oh, that's a bad idea. Like. Full rerolls to wound for Goldman, mm. or like even going back, going back to seventh edition, they had all this stuff baked into it that was insane, like two up rerollable, yeah. invulnerable saves. Which you know, and there there was a bunch of seventh edition awful things that were sort of removed from the game as we came into eighth edition. But uh, and I think the really that what happened was it skewed offense over defense because they got rid of a lot of the the trained de- the defensive yep. properties. And they took away a lot of ways to protect your models, and that was kind of actually on the tin. It's going to be way more killy, way faster. And now I think, so again, on this iteration, it's been, and also it's happened fast enough that I think a lot of those lessons are being retained edition mm-hmm. over edition. So now I think that's why you're getting such a nice refinement in how they're approaching the rules. Um, an, and, an, you know, lay, this- like the way things are getting layered in as well. Yeah, there's a few different layers to that as well. As a, as a spectacle, as a game, as a, a, a viewer, um, Eighth edition got cumbersome as hell, especially like calling games of eighth of eighth edition. Uh, towards the end, it was fine because Space Marines would just kill everything, and that was a very quick, not a big deal. A year before that, when I was at CanCon um, casting the top table, and it was two hundred to sorry, it was one hundred and fifty to three hundred Aturnid Gaunts versus two hundred Plague <laughs> Marines, and I was having to sit there being like. And he barely moved, and they're in combat against each other. Cool. And now he barely moved, and they're in combat against each other. It was freaking <laughs> awful. It was an awful look for the game. But I didn't like what the end result was just as much. I didn't like saying, oh, cool, uh, the Space Marines went first, um, the Repulsors moved out, and he's won. Sick. All right, moving on. It, that was just as bad. Or the Leviathan, or Exchange, whatever you want, whatever Uber unit you want. Um, but what it is now is like, I'm getting to the end of games, guys. I, admittedly, I'm playing Dark Angel, so this isn't the same for everybody. I'm getting to the end of the games. I've got 80% of my army left. 
and I'm still having a game worth playing at turn four, at turn five. And now, especially with the change that they brought in where turn five actually matters, for the first six months of this game, every game I played, I never bothered playing turn five unless I was at a GT and I was playing for a table. Because you look at turn five and you'd be like, I know exactly what I'm going to score. And the other guy's like, yeah, I know exactly what I'm going to score. Sweet, let's do it. Blah, 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 done. And that's not even talking it out. It's just like, okay, I would just move here, get those points. You would just move there, get those points. So move your models. There's no, no point shooting each other unless we're going to actually deny some. Let's do the stuff that matters. Yeah, I'll try and shoot you off that. Here's those guns. Bada bing, bada boom, done. Um, and, but now, like, turn five is the most important turn of the game again, which I think is exactly how I want it to be. Yeah, I mean, for, for, for creating entertaining content, absolutely. Um, mm. And it's, it's, it's nice, for example, yeah, you're saying you have 80% of, of, of your army left, but pretty much if you have models you will have plays that you can make and there are points that you can score yeah because some of it so much of it is about you know uh, control of the of, of the board which is a big brand philosophy too by the way um the fact that killiness has been reduced i remember when he was arguing about uh back in the day at like nova versus itc missions mm-hmm. one of the one of the things that he disliked the most about uh, itc missions was that you got points in primary for killing stuff and the the philosophy that he had in the in the Nova missions was that killing stuff has its own utility. So killing stuff is like a, a means to being able to control a piece of the board, which is the ultimate objective. And so mm. I think you see that sort of difference in philosophy in this that yes, killing stuff obviously important, but it is always a means to an end rather than the end in itself. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, if you wanted to, uh, I'm I'm very not qualified to talk about military actions or whatever, but Essentially, I feel like that's the purpose of every battle is for you to, is your opponents in a place and you want to exist in that place. And if you exist in that mm-hmm. place and they can no longer exist in that place, you're deemed to have won. Um, you know? <laughs> it's, it's pretty much as simple as or that. Or neither of you can exist in that place. Yeah. Yeah. Salt the earth. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, you know, building upon that perspective, it makes a lot of sense that the primary is that. I, however, would like to see um, more kill based secondaries or kill based secondaries that are more meaningful. Um, rather mm-hmm. than just, okay, a boar gives me 15 versus you because you, you suck, I'm sorry you chose to play that army. Or, um, you know, you're playing knights and you're playing kill more. You know, make, just I think, the stuff I think you, saw, you saw this, though, like this was the same balance issue they ran into with the championship missions um, f- for ITC, which was the secondaries, especially the killy ones, would immediately skew things for or against specific unit types. And yep. so they they wound up having to like every year they sort of tweaked it a little bit, and I think ultimately what it wound up being was you kill anything and you, you get it, you know. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's like, true. That's true. Make, make it so that everyone is disadvantaged the same way. Um, so I think it's 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 tricky if if you're doing uh, kill based secondaries that are related to unit types because no matter what, if unless every unit type is covered. And equally hard to kill, or whatever the it's equally hard to obtain it. Then you know there's always going to be a weird skewing from from doing those type of secondaries. Well, I was going to say I wanted I wanted an inverse. While we stand, we fight. Uh, sorry, you got something to say, Pete? Well, I just wanted to say like there is um, a problem that we are occasionally seeing now in ninth edition games, um, where we've kind of re- like we've reversed the ITC problem of 
of you know killing mm. is necessary for primary and for secondary um where now it's like just standing around is what you need to do um and if mm, you're yeah. really good at standing around especially with some of the uh, faction specific secondaries that we're seeing pop up like you're you don't have to do anything and we we are something early on in the edition that i said i was a little worried about where possible like bus stop lists we are starting to see that come up again um at least with these ones it you you can fake action, right? Like there are Dark Angels lists that are like, I'm going to stand here. I'm going to get my 15 points. I'm still going to shoot guns. You're still going to charge me and fight me. Um, but I'm still scoring these like 30 or 45 secondary points no matter what. Um, so it is like a bus stop list, but the guy at the bus stop happens to have like a machete and a shotgun. So <laughs> in, in the ETC, and this is something maybe Adam can comment on, but in the ETC up until obviously whenever the next one is, they used a, a, a hybrid Eternal War Maelstrom-type mission set. And for the Maelstrom, de- Maelstrom decks, they did not allow um, faction-specific Maelstrom cards. Do you mm. see a future where, or a potential future where, if they're not getting the balance right on these, uh, these secondaries, or certainly until at least everyone has access to them, where maybe they, uh, you know, certain tournament organizers might ban those secondary objectives? That are faction unique. Uh, I would have liked them to have already done that, and and at least until like the majority of codexes have been released, and the majority of armies have the ability to play with these things, um, because right now it is such a has and has not. I I can tell you right now, I built a very good Dark Angels list that just exists, and if you don't wipe me, I'm going to get 85 points, a minimum like 85 points, just for existing. As long as it's not a hold two for five, hold three for ten mission, in which case mm-hmm. it gets a little bit dicey, but it's still pretty pretty comfortable. Um, but yeah, that 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 kind of stuff. I want, I, I want to uh, kind of see less of. I want to see more dynamic play, more reasons to move around. But I do think it might have been a mistake to let those things in now, rather than kind of putting a pin on them until you know things have moved along. It seems like it would be a better thing to put in a in a in a in a pack. Yeah, like that's what I was about to say. Yeah. I would have loved if instead of putting the, the faction secondaries and codexes, they had released like, hey, here's chapter approved 2022, um, bam, or 2021, bam, here's faction secondaries for everyone. Everybody gets three or whatever. I think that would have been, and maybe they'll stu- still do that. Maybe they'll be like, hey, we know some of you guys uh, are kind of missing out right now. So here's your faction secondaries in advance. Because it's not like they haven't done stuff like that in the past. Um, yeah, we did it for strats. Yeah. Right. So there's like, you, it's not everything, but at least you have these now. It, it would be pretty simple, I think, to do, especially um, if they've already got, say, two thirds or three quarters of them in the can somewhere and we're just waiting because of COVID to see it, um, to just release those to get everybody kind of on a similar page in that regard. Um, I think the problem with canceling, like denying the faction secondaries, um, is, the, is they do add something new to the game because there will come a point where people will have kind of solved i think the missions again we're already seeing like i know i saw recently i think it was neil kerr talking about how he felt that the game was already getting a little bland to play because he's you know watched and played so many of the games um so i can feel that that might be a thing um where we need the faction secondaries to you know spice up life in between chapter approved Mm -hmm. um but there is a point where we have to like we, I think if they're going to do them, they need to monitor them very closely and say, like, hey, Oath of Moment is scored, like, way too much compared to everything else, so maybe we needed to tone that down quicker. I would also... Well, really... They have responded. 
So, I mean, like uh, in the core pack, like they have responded with secondary tweaks. So maybe we start to see them tweak the uh, the faction specific ones too. Um, I would for the first thing I would like to see changed um, is that you can't take two non non GT book secondaries. Like I can't take stubborn defiance. I know that's the first thing that needs to happen. I think because that's that stuff is bonkers silly. Yeah. The fact that Mar- that all the Marines can can double up, well, not all, um, but all the like Codex supplement Marines can double up is pretty pretty annoying compared to everybody else. Um, all right, so on that note, we will take a commercial break. Our commercial break, uh, as always, is in uh, in support of the Frontline Gaming Network, who are our major sponsor. And I believe we're still telling you guys about the secondhand shop deal. So the secondhand shop sales. So please jump over and support them wherever you can. Um, there's also a slick deal going on right now for the uh, the Gothic Ruins set that they have. Oh. Uh, and you get the Gothic Ruins set and a nice mat for cheap. Er. Yeah, so um, starting March the 10th, uh, an end date is March the 24th for this Gothic Ruin promo sale. Uh, you can uh, get a Gothic Ruin set, which is their most popular set of terrain. It's very easy to build and paint. It's very affordable. Looks great on the tabletop, especially on a growing Gothic Ruins FLG mat. Some of the bundle sets include a mat in this sale, so you get everything you need to play a game on a themed mat with terrain uh, to increase the immersion. Jump over to FLG and uh, you search for Gothic Plus Ruins, and you'll find everything you need to get that amazing deal from FLG. Back into there. it. We got there. Back into it, guys. We're still here. We didn't even take a break. We don't need a break. Never heard of it. <laughs> We're going to talk a little bit of stats. If Peter's, if Peter's got stuff he can reel off off the top of his head, I know he's at work. This is now our ideal recording slot, unfortunately. Um, but, Pete, what has been the impact of the last two codexes and how dramatic is the – is it Hyperbole that they're going to ruin the game or have they come in and made a big splash, little splash? And please feel free if you don't have the stats to be as anecdotal as hell. I mean, like here's the thing there aren't really very many gts being run right now right um even in australia you guys slow down after um, kind of an early january splurge um so we've only seen i think like three or four uh, gts or majors that have used the new codexes and i believe for um dark angels we've really only had one um so there's not enough data there. If you look at like ITC Battles app, which uh, Goonhammer's been doing a lot of work with, uh, pulling the results out of that, you do see like some major impacts uh, from like Death Guard getting big lifts, uh, post Codex release. Dark Angels have seen a giant lift, um, but there's not enough there for me to like firmly say one way or another. Even using the several couple thousand games you can get like practice games out of ITC Battles app, whether something is firmly like in a particular position. Uh, this last weekend, uh, there was the um, Salt City GT in was it Salt? No, that was two weekends ago in Florida, um, which was won by um, Tyranids with the double Dimacaron list with John Lennon. Uh, Dark Angels was at the top table, uh, kind of like kind of the list that I expected would be the go-to Dark Angels list, um, and he dominated his opponents until he met up with John. Um, so that is something that we kind of need to keep an eye on. Uh, but that being said, um, this last week, there was a GT in Kansas that was won by like a mech orc list. Um, and Dark Angels were there, um, and they finished like 23rd, I think, was the the top position there. So it's hard to say um, without us really hitting our stride um, using mm. statistics for these new books. Um, 
January was really big for Sisters of Battle. The you know seven or eight GTs majors that we had in there, a, a lot of Sisters lists, and they performed very well. They kind of uh, surpassed Harlequins as the the top performing on average. Um, so that was a big deal. Um, but yeah, like there's not a lot of data coming out of that GT major status stuff that I really really care to focus on. So, dude, it just it is what it is, isn't it? Yeah, I mean that's just what it's been for COVID, right? We'll get little bursts, mm. and then we're back down to nothing. Hopefully, here come May, June, we'll start to see some real big uh, swings, and we can get re- really into like where everything stands post all these new movers and shakers. So a lot has been made of team events at the moment. There's been a lot of hype and a lot of building around it, and it's, it makes a hell of a lot of sense with how restricted people have been in you know being in each other's company. That when we are able to do things, teams events seem to be the thing that wants to take precedence or the things people are most excited for because you get to spend time with the people you've missed doing something that you've missed doing. It just makes all the sense in the world. Uh, but have you been able to gather much data from that, especially you know in, in addition to that from TTS team events, things like Grey Camera or whatnot? No, I haven't. I I've been I've started. Um, creating some spreadsheets to be able to track team event stuff. Um, I actually sent uh, some stuff to uh, Josh Diffie uh, the day before yesterday uh, for like what I would love to see um, Best Coast pairings be able to spit out uh, for these team events in the future. Um, but I'm kind of waiting. I really want something big to come out in the in, in the real world so that I can test these theories. There's a lot of stuff that uh, team captains don't want to divulge yet that I think is just too important um, that we're not getting good data on. So like, I would really mm. love to have complete scorecards um, alongside attacker defender um, and the works. And usually we're missing like big chunks of that. So, I mean, this, this is something we, we, we talked about this on the adjacent show and um, I will, I will offer my same detraction here. I think that's going to be our job. In, in that coverage for us to know to who have. the attacker and defender are to know like what no, the scores he, are on the scorecard to, to know what they think <laughs> but that's not what i'm talking to about know, here val like i understand talking, i understand what you're talking about we discussed that on the adjacent show but what i'm bringing that's up, not what you're saying no <laughs> what are you saying i literally what said i want to know who the attacker and defender are and what's right. been put on the scorecards i thought you meant by scorecard like they're, they're no i mean the thing that we actually score about. with Oh, okay. Well, then the, the technology is there. Yeah, but it it's, it's not being used. Um, and the world I, can't know that we disagree. No, and I'm okay, and I'm <laughs> no. okay with disagreeing because I do think that I would love to have, um, and it can be postscript, um, what what the expectation was. I would love that. I think that mm. really c- can be very important in statistical analysis to be like, hey, we went in expecting a, a green, orange, yellow. Could be even be that versus I expected we'd get a sixteen four or a fourteen six. Yeah. Um, as a but as someone who's played at like the top level of teams events, people are never going to give you that before. But afterwards, yeah, some teams very might be very happy to divulge their their data, and they're certainly not going to. Well, you, you'll, they'll never divulge their thinking, like the, the tricks of the trade, the reasons they think they can flip what other people would assume is a, an orange or a red into a green, and things like that. That'll always be very closely guarded because that's literally what win, wins and loses like WTCs is your ability to flip other people's expectations. Um, so, but yeah, I think that is the last piece of the puzzle. Knowing what the expected was and what the result was really tells you, uh, I think that more than anything else, tells you the strength of the player. Because mm-hmm. we've talked about this in the past. There's been many WTCs and such um, where players will go 6-0 and and there'll be, you know, all of them 20-0s or 19-1s. And people will go, wow, that's incredible. And I'm, I'm not detracting from any of those players' capabilities, 
Um, but it could very well be like that was the intention all along on both sides, right? Like mm-hmm. if you, if you yeah. look at if you're looking at your opponent's team and you're like, God damn, Adam Camilleri is an issue. His list is dumb. I don't want to <laughs> deal with it. So we're just going to feed him this little seal that we brought with us. Um, and does like, and that's just what everybody does. And they assume the 20 like, and you get mm-hmm. a free ride at him throughout the entire event where you really don't have to do anything. Um, like that's not as big a deal as somebody that was like, we were hoping for a 10, 10 and he scored an 18, two. Um, yeah. Cause that yeah. like that, that adds, that adds a lot anyway. Mm. Yeah, it does. It really, it really adds. It adds an, a godload of, of pressure, as well as that's the a really key indicator of the strength of a player. On top of that, it's a, it's a key indicator of um, faction mastery as well, which I think is something that doesn't get thrown about enough. And I feel like ninth edition, especially more than seventh and eighth, is geared up to allow people to get faction mastery. Um, how do you guys feel about that? Yeah, statement? I, I I think that's it's actually interesting to me how much I've forgotten how like. We used to have to tap dance around multi faction or soup lists, mm. and how that was like a, a scarlet letter for 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 the casuals out there, or for just people who don't like the looks of a lot of those army compositions. And the game has become a lot more mono faction. Am I my way off base in that? Like because they they seem right. to they've incentivized it a lot, right? Yeah, Absolutely. no, like the 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 cp detraction from from mixing and matching plus most of the new codexes having something that says you know if you are mono faction you get x bonus really has um pulled away these like imperium and chaos lists yeah mm. so i think that that is something that i, I mean un- literally until you said that um you know that faction mastery thing uh, that i take it for granted like I, I i think that's probably one of the main things that feels so different maybe about you know, ninth edition and some, so to some extent, later edition, um, eighth edition, but ninth certainly. Just that yeah. you get that one deta- lot, lot of one detachment, one faction lists. Mm. I really feel like my need to know everything about everybody and every every faction has gone down significantly. That might be because of COVID and I'm not paying as much attention or the release rate, but I really did feel like a huge impetus. Every time a new codex came out, I had to know every single thing that could happen from it. And this this was born from things like the Dark Elder Codex, like the GSC Codex. You could just screw you in so many different ways with so many different builds that like you just got fearful. You're fearful of being crushed from something you didn't know about. I feel like that's a much more reduced aspect of ninth edition now. Like I feel like um because and I suppose that's because most of the power of a unit is on its data sheet, like you said before, Val. Um there are some sexy, okay. exciting things you can do with things like Death Shroud, yeah? But they all just are things that Death Shroud already do. You can make them shoot further, shoot harder, fight better can't really make them become a speedy unit, so to speak, which is something that you would have expected them to do last edition, you know, uh, double move them. And on top of that, I'll get a double move, a double in advance. And then, you know, maybe they'll be able to charge afterwards if I've got the poo tree or whatever, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it, it, I don't know. I, I think it, it is overall the type of game design that I think the community prefers. And you saw it even in the ITC and how they, they changed the way, uh, you know the faction awards were scored. Um, yeah. It was. It is. It is clear. Like the the faction, <laughs> the faction purity is uh, for whatever reason something that people really really want to see on the tabletop. So from a from a coverage perspective, I think that also makes it a lot more accessible. Like think of the nightmares of lists that existed in seventh, sixth, and seventh edition, where you just mm. <laughs> you know you just had these mm-hmm. uh, ridiculous army compositions that, that basically looked like open 
you know, open play mm-hmm. um, to now where you're having lists that could conceivably be something that, you know, you might read about in a book. But we we did get similar to that in 8th edition. It was watered down, but like the best chaos list was Nurgle and Zinch. And those two, you know, thematically hate each other. That was the best That was the best chaos list for so long. Um, and it was just explaining that to people as well. It's like, why are these two armies allowed to be together? Uh, because blah. Or having a single detachment that has three different or three or four different types of space marine in it. Like I'd, I've played against armies that had White Scars, Iron Hands, and Blood Angels in the same oh, detachment. Yeah. Stuff like that. I suppose each, I suppose it's a good show of progression. Like the best army from 6th edition was Taudar. It was Tau and Eldar put together because they complemented each other in every way and they just shot so hard that nobody else could win. Best army from mm-hmm. best army from uh, 7th edition, Barkstar. Fenrisian Wolves, usually Cypher, Celestine, uh, uh, or Azriel in addition to Cypher, and then a bunch of crap tacked on. And you know why would that? Why should that exist? <laughs> best the best list from Eighth Edition. I actually don't know what it is because there's like twelve. But even okay, but Pete all Pete will always bring up the Castellan list. So I mean, like, because Castellan was one of the best and probably the best list, like statistically for a long time. Brovithan at the end for the very short period where it lasted. Um, was had a slight advantage, but it didn't have the the same numbers of players um, mm. before it got killed. Right, like it won a number of GTs and majors, um, kind of in succession after LVO and CanCon on the same day. Um, but like Castellan lasted a lot longer and still held numbers. So it's hard to say. Um, Castellan was definitely like a, a, a perfect example of how do how do we maximize like literally every small rule we can get out of multiple factions though mm-hmm. um which was yeah. something that did carry until the space marine codex release really um at the end of eighth and even with provide i mean on that original line of thought if you just saw that list on a table and you didn't know all the weird janky things it was about to do it would look about right like i mean it's got a couple yep. big old dreadnoughts and a whole bunch of space marines it looks pretty mm-hmm. cool I'll say that's the only that's one of the only good things that came out, to, out towards the eight, the end of eighth edition was that the army started looking optically like armies again. They started looking thematically good. Start of eighth edition, it was the same though. Like I remember playing guard armies, and I'd have one Baneblade, two or three Lehman Russes, a Hellhound or two, um, Artemar or, or regular, and then like a hundred guardsmen, and that was my list. It looked good. It played good. It felt good, and I liked that it um that we came back to that towards the eighth. But everything was like three times more powerful. But it feels like that's where ninth has started. It has started with um, everything is relatively about the same power, um, but with varying degrees of, of sauciness added. Because like it does feel like the the, the codex is so much more stripped back than where we left off with eighth edition, doesn't it? Yeah, I think like up, un- up until this Dark Angels codex. Um, they were definitely pretty stripped back in terms of like what they were capable of doing. Yeah, exactly right. And I suppose the, the best, the biggest indication I think came from a lot of the Blood Angels players. They pointed out that hey, I used to be able to do this, 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 and this, and now I can only do this and this. And most of yeah, them, I, think, I returned fire and yeah. Sorry, I was going to say like I think I was on the show and said that um, that I thought Blood Angels was like a really bland codex. It was very strong, but just very bland. Mm. Because like the the stratagems don't do anything exciting, um, but I think that was intentional, right? Like I think that's what we're seeing yeah. now is this because kind of they, like toning back. So because mm, I was what I was going to ask is that that was your you know out of the gates take. Do you do you feel like that's how it played out? Like, yeah. Do you find that oh, yeah. that yeah? I don't. I don't like uh, Blood Angels in particular. I find are very 
like straightforward direct army there's not very many mm. tricks um unless you're running like the sanguinor um you're not really doing it like p- people can look at your army and be like i know exactly how far this thing can move how far it can do everything mm. and there's not going to be any variation to that it's not like a lot of well even now some of the older eighth edition stuff that's carried forward um like if you look at like um Kraken Gene Stealers and now Kraken Dimacarons, where you have to look at them and say, yep. what's the threat range on that thing? And it's like, well, it's between 15 inches and 52 inches, depending on what I want to do. <laughs> right? yeah. Like that's yeah. literally the, the threat range on a Dimacaron right now, um, because it's an older codex. Um, but we don't have that stuff anymore. I think Dark Angels is the first one of a supplement where you look at it and like they still have a, a lot of little weird tricks where you have to say, okay, what can that do again? And it's like, well, you know, if I go into yeah. combat, I can spend XCP and jump out of combat and then I can do this. And it's not, I would still say it's not as crazy in terms of those tricks as some of the eighth edition codexes were. Um, it is still slightly stripped back, but it's kind of one of the first ones where I look at some of the stuff and go like, oh, yeah, that's definitely a thing that uh, like I, I can't mm. really play around. Uh, I just have to this- understand it. That's my thought uh, almost perfectly. It feels like this was the 8th edition codex they never got. Um, yeah. It, it kind of, that's what this codex kind of feels like. I was going to say, oh, yeah, Blood Angels had an amazing 8th uh, edition one, so it's fine that Dark Angels get an amazing ninth edition one. But then I'm like, how long did Space Wolves have to wait for <laughs> their amazing codex? <laughs> 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 it, do, they have a, do they have a sin from a previous edition that I'm unaware of? I don't know. 5th edition was the last time I remember them crushing. Like absolutely crushing people was fifth edition. That's true. They did. That's some, had some had some good seventh edition builds in like black mains and stuff like that. But apart from the Bark Star, you never heard of anything else, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, I don't even think Space Wolves are terrible right now. I think that they are one of like they have a couple of tricks. It's all heroic intervention, really based and fights last mm-hmm. based. Um, yeah. But like they they're missing out on. The apothecary, which is the big deal, because it's the strongest unit in the Space Marine Codex by a long shot. Um, yeah, man. But I still think they have some play, mainly around Terminators. I think that's the big thing for Space Wolves. Space Wolf Terminators having like any custom loadout you want um, can lead to some shenanigans. That and are, are, you know, fights last abilities. Are Terminators a careful what you wish for scenario at this point in 40k? I don't know. I really don't know. Like, I've seen some pretty solid... uh, I mean, there was a GT win recently with Space Wolves that was mostly Terminator-based. David Ozawa at that... um, At the event that uh, John Lennon won came in second. He went 4-0-1, also with a Mm Terminator-based list. Um, So they've got legs. They've definitely got legs because they're so customizable. Um, Oh, yeah. I just mean mean Terminators in general were were a long, uh, like... I don't know, mourned unit that oh, they were, yes. you know, yeah. everyone's favorite thing that, yeah. uh, you know, sucked. Yeah. And uh, now, mm. now they're pretty beefy. Well, at least they're, in they're Space Wolves and Dark Angels. <laughs> it's true. Uh, interesting one there. Is it feels like the the one thing that Blood Angels lost, being the, being the, their Smash Captain, it got translated into Smash Units, Vanguard, Vets, Sangard, Death Company. Mm-hmm. feels like that's the one thing that, that Space Wolves have now. They have the killiest char- some of the killiest characters that it's, po- it's yeah. actually possible to make. They're absolute brutes. Yeah. Um, like I've even considered chucking them into my guard armies now. Yeah, no, that's definitely a thing. I think guard and chaos are probably the two guys that do want to still soup it up, as it were. Like as we were talking yeah. about, kind of mono faction. Um, like Death Corps, Krieg, Riders. Um, we talked about them on our Forge World show. I've talked about them multiple times. They are a big talk on on the Best in Faction podcast about how strong they are. Full payload Manticores, mm. of course, are scary. Um, 
Guard have a lot of a lot of good stuff. I just don't think they have two thousand points of good stuff usually. Oh, well, and the fact that they they their counter assault unit being the um the counter assault unit being the Bulgrin being essentially non effectual mm. in this in this current mm. environment that really holds them back. If Bulgrin got a yeah. buff, another rend, another attack, or another strength or whatever, another damage, any of those things could could really lift guard tremendously. But dudes, guys, well, I think we'll call it there for the, for this part one, episode thirty three. We're going to jump over and record part two. We're literally just going to be talking about whatever the hell the the patrons of us to talk about literally mm, um, mostly they've, sex they've given us a, from what i understand yeah 100 100 sex stuff <laughs> they've given topic. us a huge swathe of questions uh <laughs> for us to answer and topics for us to discuss so we're gonna jump over we're gonna jump in and, and chat about those if you wish to get involved with our, our patreon group uh please jump over Sub- you can subscribe to our podcast and the john lennon sorry not john lennon, the the john damaris nick nardavati podcast from the art of war 40k.com you can also purchase our podcast there or both together for a nice lump sum and or you can go over to patreon and look for art of war down under and subscribe to our hours and get all this content a week early so please jump over get involved if you do if not please listen to the adjacent show of this gentleman uh, these two gentlemen and pay attention for any future and further amazing stuff these guys might be involved with anything you guys want to say before we leave no get out of here that was, that was <laughs> awesome. really nice give this man some patreon money and hear us for another half hour 45 minutes or so Good night and take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Damn it. Hello, everybody, and we are back with the wonderful, wonderful Michael Timpey. How you doing, dude? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Adam? Really good. We haven't had a chance to have Michael on since our Necrons episode, which went down quite well. But my God, that was that was in the dark times when I had no restraints on the time frames of my episodes. But lovely to have you on again michael you're you've released a, a freaking board game you've released a, a freaking tabletop war game board game miniatures everything and uh we've got michael on to tell us a little bit about that and to kind of spruik some of the amazing work he's been doing behind the scenes for quite a few months if not years yeah it has uh has been a few years actually to get it get it done top to bottom the name of the game is outward realms you can find it at outwardrealms.com and we're planning to launch the kickstarter in may yeah, so please jump on and get involved. Michael is definitely one of the mover and shakers in the scene. On top of that, he's a, just a hell of a bloke. But tell us a little bit about this game. What's the premise? What's the lore? Tell, get people some, give people some reason to be excited. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a, like you said, it's a tabletop war game in a science fiction setting that I, that I wrote. Um, it takes place about 600 years in the future and features four factions vying for survival and supremacy in the galaxy. Uh, you have the humans, who are called the realm. You have the hive mind hexagoda. You have the amphibious batra, who are frog upright frogs. And you have the uh, nifal, who are alien. Let's sort of think of an alien skynet. So they're trying to eradicate all sentient life. So they're kind of like a Battlestar Galactica esque well, Cylons, Cylons, Cylons. Yeah, but if uh, they were designed by aliens, not by humans. Ah, that's cool. So are they, have they like already destroyed their own parent race? Uh, no, the parent race made them and ducked out. They left that <laughs> behind uh, as, a, as a little gift for all future races. That's pretty cool. They kind of just dumped it and bailed. Um, but that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really so, so, Yeah, so 600, 600 years in the future from now, so uh, humanity is a, 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 a spacefaring um, species have we colonized much of the galaxy are we are we in a position of supremacy or are we the little guy the upstart yeah, we're we're doing great uh, relatively speaking up until recently so uh rftl is real fast uh it gets you across the galaxy in about three years 
So we went and we scooped up all the Earth-like worlds, and we called them Golden Worlds, and it's about a thousand of them, where we didn't have to really do any terraforming. We just got to, you know, set up colonies and get rolling. Uh, and we we had a fast deploy. Uh, we cover we have a lot of territory in the galaxy, uh, and that's kind of where we're at. And now it's all coming to a head in the in the current setting. The Hexagoda have shown up in a big way all over the place. Uh, and people are pretty surprised by that. Uh, the bots are becoming much more aggressive and starting to take back worlds that were previously theirs or that they considered their territory. And of course, the Nightfall never went away and are uh, drifting around and doing their thing. So they're just like, oh, so uh, the which one's the the hive mind? The hive mind of the Hexagoda. Ah, uh, cool. So they are what they like locusts? Are they like Borg? What's the kind of scope there? Yeah, so they're they're ruled by a bunch of psychically powerful queens on their moon, and Us. they are yeah. And so the 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 thinking versions of them, similar to an insect hive on Earth, the thinking versions of them are called queenlings. They're like small queens that are the commanders for the forces. They run around, and the queens give out the big blanket orders. And actually, the queens have autonomy in how those orders are executed. So every queenling is a little different. They have their own like approach. Uh, and way of doing things. Some are more cautious, some are more aggressive, but basically that's the most autonomy a hexagona gets. Beyond that, it's you're following orders just like any other worker bug. Okay, so frog people. I, I, I had a master system and I loved the game Battletoads. Do I get to play Battletoads? You, you do. And imagine if yes. Battletoads are friends with uh, the Predator because these Battletoads cloak and they run around, and they shoot you with lasers that cut things in half, and then they jump on you with power weapons and uh, cut you into pieces. Sick. <laughs> okay, that's brilliant. Um, where did you where did you come with the concepts of these? Are these just things you were like, okay, what what's what's a well filled out kind of roadmap of factions look like? Where did you where did you start with this? So I wrote a novel actually, and brilliant. <laughs> the novel was not was not good. <laughs> that what happened was the setting. The, well, that was the first first go, but the yeah. setting was actually interesting. It kept rattling around in my brain, like I couldn't shake it. I'm like, man, there's it, there's something there. There's there's more stories to be told. There's something more interesting there. I want to build on that, but like, I don't think a book right now is the right approach. Some time went by, and I've always wanted to make a tabletop miniatures game ever since 1994 when I first played my first one. But it took all the way until now to have the technology, the time, and the resources and expertise, really, to get to this point. Mm. Uh, and then I was like, oh, man, do I license a setting and try to make a minis game out of that? Or do I use an exit like my, my IP? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to give mine a shot. Like, I, you, you know, it's, I think it's a positive and a negative. But uh, the positive being, hey, it's original, it's interesting, and you have yep. control over it. The negative being is you lose a little bit of the, like, oh, I've heard of that or I've read that book or I've watched yeah. that show. No, but that's, that's very exciting and very brave of you. Now. Kudos for doing it, man. It's a big jump and a big leap. Um, talking a little bit about the game mechanics, what are the kind of what, what's a what's a turn look like for somebody if they were to put it into like a most relatable contest coming from like 40k? Where are the differences in the the turn by turn play of the game? Yeah, so some big differences between uh, it and 40k. Uh, it's played on a four by four table. Yep. It is. Uh, the armies are bigger than a war machine army, but smaller than a 40k army, just about. Yep. But what's interesting is on a 4x4 four four table, because of the, the size of some of the units, like our tanks and such, it, it really fills out the table nicely if you're playing a 50-point force, even a 34-point force, to be honest. Um, 
it fills it out quite nice. And uh, it is alternating activation. So unlike 40k, where you yes. know the attacker is going to go first and you know roll deep on you, um, the attacker in this one is a little less a little less important because while they do get to activate the first unit and set the tempo there, uh, you immediately get to respond after that unit is activated. So it's kind of a nice back and forth. Mm-hmm. And the games are shorter. There's only three rounds, ten activations per round. So you get thirty activations in total. Games are usually over in two hours or less. Brilliant. So each player gets 30 activations? That's it. No, and that's it? No more, no less? There isn't any special jank of, of getting a double turn or anything like this? Well, actually, it's funny you mention that. So there, there a little bit is in the sense that if the attacker, let's say the attacker, it'd have to be the defender. So you'd have to be the defender the first, in the prior round, and you activate the last unit. And you guys, after 10 activations, the round ends, and you you know do your maintenance stuff, and you clean it up, and you guys roll off again for attacker. That defender could roll attacker, and theoretically, under those specific scenarios, you could activate the same unit uh, twice in a row. That's literally the only way it could happen. There you go. So it's, it's a yeah, very slim chance. Or, you know, less like... Likely- it's not like your whole army, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so b- break down a, an activation for us. Is this a, a certain different units get to do certain things? Do you have, you know, the yeah. usual swathe of conventional, you know, military assets like we would consider, you know, artillery, battle tanks, infantry, scouts, things of this nature? Yeah. So that's that's a great question. Um, an activation, every single unit has their stats. They got their movement, their attack value, you know, their armor value. But the big stat for that would be activation limit and action points activation limit is how many times that unit can get activated in a round and action points are when you activate it you get a little pool of action points and you can spend those and there are general actions which everyone can do things like moving shooting attacking and combat melee that sort of thing and then often a unit will either have a special rule or a special action and that's available just to that unit something special that they do Mm. that's really interesting so uh, so you'd you'd have like a somebody who can hack the mainframe or something or, or like an action to be if, to put it into 40k terms people have they can have an action they can perform in lieu of a different of a different activation yeah and here's a here's an interesting like cross-pollination with that so if you look at the smallest 40k army and you consider like moving and uh shooting and potentially charging a single activation with the unit even the smallest armies in 40k have around 60 activations in a game Right. Yeah. Yep. So if you look at our game, thirty. Wow. You know, it's there's no there's no fat on those bones. You know, it's it's basically yeah. like every activation is really important, and you kind of feel like that's a lot of where the strategy comes from is uh, playing the mission objectives, playing the picking, and playing the additional objectives, and getting mm-hmm. the most out of those activations uh, from each unit. Right. Yeah, dude, it, it sounds really exciting. I like that it's got a very limited amount of activations. Like the game doesn't end until the, all the activations are done. Is that is, is that how it goes? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. But or you until know you know, 10, you, 10, you rend- 10, right? Yeah, or until you render your opponent unable to perform any activations, whatever. Exactly right. So, um, do, does this does this game of is it off D sixes, off D threes? Is it, is, it a, is it a ruler? What what are you what are you actually what are the me- the metrics or the 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 things? Is it centimeters, millimeters, inches? Yeah, it uh, follows all the same conventions as forty k. So it uh, uses a tape measure or a ruler, you know, whatever you like in there. It's in inches. It uses D six dice. The models are thirty two millimeter heroic scale, so all your terrain for forty k works. 
our uh, objectives are the same size as the 40k objectives. So for those, that's the same. We actually have a unique objective in our game called an objective zone. And the game is provided with tokens for that, as well as on the Kickstarter, there'll be a premium option for the neoprene ones, which are quite nice. Now, it's almost like you planned this stuff, having all these correlations that people can easily transition into this game or pick it up with uh, existing, yeah, a lot of existing yeah, tools. It's, it's like you thought about it I mean, a little bit or something. That's weird. That's strange. <laughs> it's weird, right? <laughs> um, yeah, that's so, so are these um, are these uh, transitioning and talking a little bit about the miniatures, which is a lot a lot of what we are passionate hobbyists and what gets us into the game. So you said thirty two mil heroic scale. Are these are these resins? Are they push fit? Are they are they iron? Are they you know what are they? <laughs> Man, iron. Uh, they are they are resin. Uh, think a nicer resin than Forgeal. No offense to Forgeal and great models, uh, but I by what I mean by that is they don't need to be cleaned uh, with soap and water afterwards. Beautiful. Yeah, is my understanding. Um, uh, I haven't actually used them, and uh, the production ones are still being pre-produced right now, so I haven't gotten those prototypes in just yet. But I'm doing it a little early, and when I get that in, uh, there will be like kind of limited assembly, so pretty easy to put together and uh, resin cast. So you know, light and uh, any kind of glue should should get you there. Fantastic. Normal primer work on the paint. So in, in saying that, what you comes with like is a one or two piece miniature. Like if you're doing resin, usually you can yeah. get away with, yeah, with or, bigger or sculpts. Large, I'll give you, yeah. So every model has been done and prototyped. Uh, they're all in pre-production right now and mm-hmm. prior to the Kickstarter because we believe in ourselves. And like I'll give an example. A, a really big model on a 100 mil base. Uh, one of our largest models in the game is the Realm Battle Tank. Nice. Um, it, it's pretty big. And right now it is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. It's eleven pieces. Uh, four of those are kind of big main body pieces, and the rest are the fins, the turrets, and the two guns on the turrets. So now how how big is that? Is that a, a land raider? Or? I I think that's our most pieces. Uh, I, you know, land raider. I would actually go with a forge world comparison. I would say the uh, that that uh, one that has the accelerator auto cannons the is it uh, Sakaran? Sakaran, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I would say it's about Sakaran size. Sick. Um, so, in saying that, how how fleshed out is each of the ranges? Do they all have the same complement of of unit choices, or do some have different? You know, some are more infantry heavy, some are more tank heavy, some are more starship heavy, etc. Uh, I would say it's a really nice blend. Um, to to give you a comparison for the realm, which is the human equivalent, and these will make the most sense to as a direct correlation. You have every. Every army's got its commander model. That's you think like your HQ, your warlord, your leader. Um, you've got infantry or heavy infantry to fill in the the ground pounders. You know yep. the, the front line, the front line troops. Uh, there are what we call skirmishers. Skirmishers are things on sixty mil bases, and we have a big mix of those. So for the human faction, that would be the uh, exosuits. Think uh, bigger than a crisis suit armored suits that humans are inside pilot that a human an object human is inside piloting uh all the way to the same thing in the classification would be a skirmisher which is a four hexagoda worker bugs on a 60 mil base it's called a swarm we're yep. familiar with those but it's on a big it is on a big base it's also considered a skirmisher so and then we have our 100 mil conscripts what we would call tanks or vehicles in a 40k right and that's big stuff like the big battle suit for the humans, the big bugs for the big bugs, the uh, armored or flame hexapod, um, or the, you know the walking, the walking uh, War of the World style mm-hmm. 
tripod uh, monsters in the nightfall, right? Those are also concerts on 100 mils. Dude, awesome. Um, so tell us about the Kickstarter. What? How much is the Kickstarter? What people get for it? And please double down, triple down, tell people where to find you. Yeah, absolutely. So outwardrealms.com is where you find us. We're launching in May. We specifically have not picked the exact date in May to give a little bit of flex time for some of the some of the cool things we want to bring in to see, make sure we can do it all and uh, make sure that people, the first time they see it, have the best possible experience. I don't want to be like missing a video or anything like that, but it will launch in May. We're on target for that. Um, and it looks like right now for, for deals, uh, we'll have our faction starters up there, um, looking like 49 bucks for a faction starter to get a few units. And we're providing the rules pack and the starter scenario on the site for free. The rules for Outward Realms, the rules packs, will always be free. Amazing. Um, if you want awesome lore, if you want the narrative battles, if you want all the uh, the model galleries, if you want all that stuff, buy the rule book. And we, you know, of course, we'd love you to do that. But uh, the rules, the rules are there for you to read, for you to look at. And by rules pack, well, it, that would be everything in a forty k rule book, and all the codexes are in the rules pack. So all Oof. the unit sheets are there. Yeah. Now, we've been begging for this kind of treatment for a long time. Um, question for you, though. This might be a harder one to answer. How much credence have you get to the, Have you given to your game's balance, and how difficult have you found it? Well, I'll get back to that in one second. I'll mention two other things on that Kickstarter. The, the, what we're Apologies. calling a battle force is oh, it's all good. Is a 34-point army. It's going to be $199, um, and you can just pick up a battle force. It'll have cards and tokens and the models inside. You can download that free rules pack and get playing right, right away. And then for our people who are really feeling spicy, who who are like, man, I just want to smash that button and not worry about what units I have, et cetera, build an army, I want to have it all. Uh, we have our $4.99 uh, faction packs, which is three of every unit, the premium tokens, a rule book, and everything else all in one bundle. So that's for those people who are just like, oh man, done. You know, I want I want no. it all. <laughs> um, to yeah. To get back to balance, though, uh, you're right. Balance is an enormous undertaking. And actually, I'm going to say something kind of maybe controversial a little bit. I don't even like the term balance because I don't think balance, a balanced game, is both not possible and not healthy. Uh, I'll give an example. Um, for a game that, for games that can't be balanced, uh, chess isn't even balanced because white wins 3% more of the time. Right? Yep. <laughs> so like game balance isn't even really a thing. Mm. Um, but not to say that it's an impossibility or what have you. I know what people are actually saying. To me, with the thing I look for is when I'm reading my playtest stuff, is I'm looking for negative play experience. I'm yes. looking for things that are are giving people a hard time. Um, it's not always a bad thing for a unit to have. You know, I'll give a like a mix of units in an army. It's it's not always a bad thing for there to be choices that are like, mm. oh, you know. I don't understand how this unit works or it doesn't fit my play style because there is someone else down the road who's like, that unit is my jam. It's all I want to run. That's my thing. Right. Yeah. It's more important. So it's like, Oh man, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the win rates and the loss rates and I'm reading this player play tester feedback. And it's like, Oh man, you know, for two months, this faction is like, it's not winning a game. You know, that's not good. Then you look at it and go, Oh man. Okay. What happened? What's going on here? Let's dig down. Mm. But like, if someone says, this unit overpowered, I'll listen to it and I'll take a note of it. But I, yep. more systemically, if they, if both sides still had a good time, 
it's less of a big deal to me if that makes mm. sense. So I think I think what we as we as players, we as competitive players, or we as gamers in, in everything always want we want our decisions to matter as much or more than our unit choices, if that makes sense. We don't want totally. to just yeah, we, we want decisions we make on the table. That's why we're playing things on a table and not just playing a computer game like StarCraft or something. We want our decisions on the table to mat, to match up with equally or more than the stuff we chuck in our army or chuck in our deck or whatever the game may be. And it sounds like that's pretty much what you're trying to achieve, yeah? Absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. I love that that's been made in this in, in this vein. I, I love that you're like you're staying quite close to very known metrics, very understood mechanics, but at the same time branching out into the things that people have wanted in some of these more mainstream games for a very long time. E.g., the thing that I've wanted the most on release, every army should have a playable uh, rule set to go along with the addition. I think that's 100. I think the future of um, so many of these games. So, dude, it's uh, so Kickstarter Outward Realms. Is that what we're, we're searching? Our realms, yeah. The the Kickstarter link on the site will go live when the Kickstarter is live, launching in May. And if you want to help me out, it, it's a big assist to me. Uh, if you go to the site, click on any of the articles. We're releasing an article every day this month uh, about the game and talking about lore, showing off art, talking about rules. So you can go there. You can you can read up. And uh, at the bottom of all those articles, there's a link. If you click on that, we will send you an email about releases. We will not use that for anything else. You will probably get two or three emails a year from us in total. But like, if you want to know what we're, what we're planning to put out and that kind of information, that's what that link is for. And it, it helps us to like, uh, with so actually with some of our uh, Kickstarter assists, like Backer Kit, for instance. Amazing. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for telling us about your game. Anything you'd like to mention before we close out? No, I, I love uh, <laughs> love Art of War Down Under. I think you're and you're killing it as a commentator. You're Aww. you and John Lennon are my favorite commentators. Uh, Falcon is also good when you can pry him from the icy talons of the north. <laughs> um, like you three, you three kill it. Um, and yeah, it's it's great to uh, it's great to be on. And I thank you so much for letting me letting me show. In exchange for twelve hours of Necron knowledge. <laughs> no, not a problem at all. Well, I'm actually planning to do some to have some people on in the future just to revisit some of the the factions we did. So I'll probably come back to you in, in a month or two and get you get some hot takes from you about Necrons, how you're feeling about them, how they're doing for you. I've just been waiting to get like hopefully almost halfway through some of the codexes before we start doing this stuff. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, and I do have some new thoughts. I've when we did that thing, I played like three games. I've played you know fifteen games now. So like mm. that, I have an idea of what's going on. Yeah, exactly right. It was so funny those early those early records we did when no one was allowed to play the game and we were just like, all right, everyone's just got to face value all this codex knowledge, all this brand new codex and face value all the unit choices. It's, it was so interesting. Yeah. Anyway, Michael, I won't hold up you up any longer. Thank you so much. All the best with Outward Realms. It sounds incredible. Sounds like you've done a huge amount of work on this. Please jump over and support him. Michael is an amazing community man. If you're at all interested also, he runs an incredible podcast called The High Lords of Terror. Tell us a little bit about that, brother. Yeah, we're still rolling uh, almost a couple of years now. It's uh, Alex, Will, and I. We come on once a month. And we, you know, we talk about what's going on in the 40K for us mainly. And uh, when we are doing events, as things kind of ramp back up, we'll keep, we'll go back to talking about our games. And we're, we're really excited uh, for vaccinations and for a world maybe like at the end of the summer where we're to like go into something big and having some fun again. Mm. 
Dude, fantastic. Please jump over and support Outward Realms if you are so inclined. Thank you so much, Michael. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And thank you so much for being a supporter of the podcast, dude. It means a lot to us. Thank you, Adam, so much. All right. Take care and good night, guys. See you next time. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you thought it was over. Well, there's one more thing to tell you about. After listening to the amazing Mr. Timpe and after all the other things um, you've hopefully learned and gleaned on this episode, I'm here to tell you that this will be the last episode of Art of War Down Under that will be hosted on the Frontline Gaming Network. As a mutual agreement, a parting of the ways for a relationship that has gone the distance and produced some amazing content for you guys leaving this relationship lovingly uh, with nothing but admiration and respect for what FLGN has helped us in getting our start, both Art of War Den Under and Art of War are incredibly grateful for the opportunities that our Frontline Gaming Network gave us. But if you wish to stay connected with us, you can find us over on theartofwar40k.com where you'll find all our episodes to be uploaded there weekly as they have been and as they will continue to be. Also on the Art of War YouTube channel, which is a great place where you guys can get in touch with all the Art of War content. My podcast will now be hosted on there, including all the regular feeds. It'll be, uh, there'll be an RSS feed going up for both of our podcasts together, which you can tune in and get in, uh, in contact with. Jump over to the Facebook page for Art of War Down Under as well, and you'll be able to keep up to date with all the latest updates and the episodes that are coming out, where you can find them, where you can stay in touch, and where you can get involved. Of course, jump onto the Patreon group if you don't want to miss a beat, and you'll hear all the updates as they come through and have a great ability to have a say in the content moving forward. Um, a lot of the part twos that we're putting out now are literally just content requested by and questions uh, to be answered from the, um, the Patreon group. So please jump over and get involved. It's only getting bigger, only getting better. And thank you so much to everybody who's been involved in, as this far. So as well um lastly i'd like to again thank the frontline gaming network again for giving my podcast specifically the amazing start it's been able to get from being associated with such an incredible group of people they're doing amazing work please continue to support to, to support frontline gaming and the frontline gaming network uh they've got some really exciting stuff in the works and hopefully you're as much in love with those gentlemen as i am because um, yeah phenomenal group of people absolute pleasure absolute honor take care good night and hopefully i'll be seeing you again soon guys bye Thank you for listening to Art of War Down Under, a content review podcast for Warhammer 40K, hosted by Adam Camilleri, produced by Seamus Ronan. Enjoyed the show? Want your lists reviewed and the content you heard put into practice? Sign up to our Patreon and connect with us online or on Facebook. Just search for Art of War Down Under, signing out from tomorrow. Tomorrow.